Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here today to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, titled Blackwater, one of my all-time favorite Game of Thrones episodes. I really love this one. Yeah, it's good. It holds up like a champ. Yeah. Uh, I love I love the bravery of Tyrion in it. Um, I actually really like some of the scenes with Cersei. Uh, I think it has a really surprising and awesome finale. Uh, or final scene, I guess. And yeah, it's just great all around. Uh, I don't know how much more I want to say about it before we get to the recap, but uh, you got any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I agree to completely. I think that not only is it action-packed, not only does it have so much spectacle, but it also gives important glimpses into what motivates people that previously have been somewhat of enigmas or just pure villains, like the Hound. Mm-hmm. You know, and this season's been good for his development because we've seen that there's more to him uh, than initially met the eye. Um, it also, like, you know, it 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 challenges you kind of like what side you're on too because there are good men that we care about in both this like regards to how you feel about uh stannis like i've always mm-hmm. been a davos fan yeah and he's got a son who you know depending on your point of view is deluded or a true believer but he's certainly not an evil person and then of course we like Tyrion, and but we hate joffrey and cersei and we like sansa and maybe we're conflicted about shay but she probably shouldn't be die or be raped there's there's stakes on each side and and, you know, I, I feel like that there's a nice rhythm where you first you think that King's Landing is doomed and then King's Landing is maybe saved because of wildfire. And then mm-hmm. Stannis pigheadedly presses the attack and everything going his way. And then the ghost of Renly rides and drives him back. It's it, it's it's good. It, and it feels like it's a longer episode than an hour, but in like a, a really good way. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, my God, it's a dragon. Just like, oh, I can't believe how much stuff has been packed in packed into this episode yeah and it's i mean the tension is is there in spades um and as someone who hasn't read the books when i first saw this episode i really i legitimately thought okay they've done enough to where i think this story could survive the fall of king's landing and Stannis becoming king because i think there are vendettas there i think you know the death of rinley um could be something that brienne wants to try to avenge right Um, Right. and the catelyn might help her in uh, I think there are reasons for the story con- to continue, even if all the Lannisters are killed in this scene mm-hmm. or in this episode. So for me, it was a very tense episode um, led by a lot of characters that I care about. Right. Davos and Tyrion being among the, the, the most cared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should get into the recap now. Yeah, let's do it. 
Hey, everybody, before we get to the main content, we want to talk about stuff going on here at Bald Move, a little thing we like to call Keeping of the House. Uh, we have got full coverage of Mr. Robot Season 3 in full swing. I'm really digging that season, Jim. Yeah. We also have full coverage of Walking Dead Season 8. And not digging that. And one it, quite it, as much. it is coverage. It is coverage of the season. <laughs> it sure is. If you if you are slightly to moderately to very disappointed at the way Game <laughs> of Th- or at the way The Walking Dead is going, I highly encourage you to check out our podcast. If you really are happy, then you don't want to bother that borrow that trouble. Mm. Uh, Cecily and I are holding down the fort over at American Horror Story. Uh, we've got last week we saw Thor Ragnarok and enjoyed ourselves. We got the spoiler free version for everybody, the spoiler filled version for club members only. We're going to be doing the same thing this week for murder on the Orient Express. As always, we have uh, lunch with Jim and Aaron. Uh, we also recorded a little podcast, a little commission podcast, uh, down at the rocket city NerdCon, live in front of a studio audience, little, little, little indie film called return of the Jedi. Uh, it's, it's loosely based on the work of Akira Kurosawa here. Uh, it's a very scholarly take uh, of the of, of the film, uh, and you can check that out. It'll be released probably Thursday or maybe Friday this week. Yeah, that's what we got going on at BaldMove.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We start off with Stannis' fleet arriving at King's Landing. Davos' son seems pretty confident about their victory prospects due to his faith in, in a lot of things, the Lord of the Light, their cause, their captain. Uh, Davos is a little more concerned, though. He's got some reservations. Uh, it is nice, I guess, that Stannis kept his word to, to Davos about Melisandre. He's not, she is not in evidence in this battle. No. That's no, one of the she's things, nowhere to be found. It's one of the things his hand counseled very strongly mm-hmm. against her being there. So, And then Stannis loses. So <laughs> you already can tell that, um, you know, I'm inclined to agree with uh, Davos that he shouldn't do dark magic to, to win the kingship. But uh-huh. on the other hand, you can see how this is going to set up a lot of tension because he listened to Davos, someone that he trusted to give him good advice, and it, it kind of fucked him over. Yeah, and I mean... You know, we don't see the fate of Davos in this. We we kind of see all of the ships blown up. Um, we see Davos and his son out there at sea. I don't know where he ends up, but uh, Stannis gets kind of pulled from the battle. Um, we, we can see him being yanked off the battlefield very quickly. Um, so, Against his yeah, will, but yeah. <laughs> this is certainly going to drive him, I, I think, more toward the, the Lady of the Light, right? The Lord of the Light. Yeah. Because... You know, she warned him, and she, she told him, look, the Lord Light is providing all this, and then he left her behind. Yep. So it could could be interpreted as a mistake by him. So let's move on to Tyrion, who is worried about the battle. Um, he's in his, his chambers there, and Shay tells him that she's going to keep him safe, which Tyrion n- knows is just, you know, her being sort of playful and trying it's, it's to... Just, it's just pillow talk, baby. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Tyrion tells her that she doesn't have to be there, but she is adamant that she is going to stay with Tyrion to the very end. Um, and... I I mean, this is foolish, but it's also... 
I understand, you know. Uh, I don't I don't think this is a bad scene with Shay. No, I, I think don't Shay either. is has made up her mind, you know. She's decided she loves Tyrion and consequences be damned, she's going to see out both of their fates, their yeah. intertwined fates. Totally. Uh which I don't know, later on the scenes with uh Shay and Cersei, I'm starting to think, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> Uh, with what we know about Cersei looking for Tyrion's whores. Well, it's a good thing Lancel busted in yeah. at the right moment, and Cersei was well into her cups. So mm-hmm. does she even remember that she almost bloodhounded the the identity of, of Tyrion's secret whore? Yeah, probably not. Because the thing is, is like I don't even think she knows what she's got here. I think no. she still believes that Roz was Tyrion's whore, and, and he's got she's got him waylaid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is just Cersei being when she inter- interrogates it being petty yeah like just to make fun of this little poor peasant girl who's trying to pass herself off as a lady i have i don't think she has any idea that uh, that there's something sinister afoot she doesn't but i feel like she's she might accidentally stumble into that information oh yeah you know? that's definitely the, the, t- the tension we're supposed to be feeling uh-huh uh so yeah pycelle comes in to cersei in the red keep and says hey here's some essence of nightshade three drops will make you shit yourself Five drops will turn your guts inside out. I don't know. Ten drops, we don't ever find out. I don't want to know what does ten drops do. I think it's death. Yeah? Death by shitting your guts out. Okay. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just in case she needs to kill herself, she's got the tools to do it. Um, I, I just love how like how delicately he's trying to do this. And yeah. Cersei's just like, just, just give me the poison. Get the fuck out. Yeah. She's got no patience for him. Neither do I, frankly. Uh, I'm glad she didn't let him tell this story because I was not that interested. The thing is, is I do know, and the show has made this explicit, that he is a, he's a Lannister man. That mm-hmm. he is loyal to Tywin and to the extension House Lannister. Um, he thinks that's he thinks that's good for the realm, maybe, or he definitely thinks that's what side the the bread is his bread is buttered on. Um, and I am kind of curious what he was actually trying to say was he trying to counsel her against committing suicide was he trying to like like tell her when to commit like she cut him off but i think he was Mm -hmm. trying to offer like whatever he considers a word of wisdom and i I was kind of interested to see what he was going to say but yeah uh, yeah don't forget he's not supposed to be on a side in this war right no no he's supposed supposed to... to be offering up advice for the Lannisters to win the war or to save themselves or anything like that. Well, I do think I do think he's supposed to he's supposed to serve the the king of the land. Okay. Um where he so like he's he's I think he's fine doing what he's doing. The the, the original sin was him helping to conspire against the Baratheons and yeah. you know kind of putting his thumb on different on different scales. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he's meddling more than he probably should be. Oh yeah, yeah, as yeah, a yeah, master. yeah. And and he's had a he's had a history of doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I just wonder what he was going to say because <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, I don't we'll know. know. Like a, you know, as I, he's the kind of guy that probably wants wants Cersei to maybe mention him to Tywin when he comes. Like you know, uh, oh, he gave me this words of wisdom, and I was just about to drink the poison, but then he said, "You know, you should always tell a long-winded story about wolves and stags and lions before you do so." And that bought me the time you needed to fight your way to the throne room. Uh huh. Maybe that's that's how it goes in his head. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the end, she does tell a long-winded story. You know, that buys her the time. See? The Taiwanese that's, that, that's that leal service yeah. that you want from uh, a, a grand maester. 
right, then we go to Braun and the other Lannister's troops, and they are drinking, they're singing, they're whoring, all in preparation for the battle. Uh, the Hound shows up, and he gets all serious about how much he and Braun both love killing and really changes the mood of the room. And they're ready to fight each other, but the alarm bells sound, and everyone moves to their positions. Yeah, who wins that fight? The Hound. I think so, too. I think Braun yeah. would make a good showing of it. He would. But Certainly. if he thinks the hound doesn't notice that he's hand went to the small of his back, he's, <laughs> he's, he's fucking crazy. Yeah, and I think, you know, Braun does have probably the advantage of speed, but I yeah. think Braun gets in and he tries to slice the hound's leg, and he gets him, but right. the hound gets Braun and does not let go. Yeah, if the hound gets a hold of him or gets yeah. a good... I mean, that's the thing, like... I, I don't saw think him it's, cut a man in half. I, I don't think that Braun has no cho- chance. Like, I think that, like... Yeah. Seven out of ten times the Hound wins, maybe eight out of ten times. But I do think that, like, when Braun says, but I'm quicker, mm-hmm. you know, we know Braun is quick. We know he's, sh- he's sneaky. But I-, I think the only advantage he'd have over the Hound is his quickness because the Hound's yeah. a dirty fighter, too. Sure. Uh, yeah. Hound gives no fucks about honor. He's not a knight. He doesn't give a shit. So I thought that was interesting. And I don't know why the Hound is so damn bloody-minded. Yeah, he's... I mean, I know why he's so damn bloody-minded, uh, because that's just that's just who he is. He's just mm-hmm. angry about everything and, and everyone and, and anyone that's managed to enjoy life and, and not carry their their conscience and their guilt and their self uh, self loathing. Uh, that doesn't get in the way of them whoring and drinking. He kind of instinctively hates. Yeah, but this is not the moment to it, take out your anger. It also it also made me wonder who the hell this little blonde yeah, chubby cheeked drinking nothing. buddy he's got. Like <laughs> this is the hound's best friend. Like you know, on the night it's it's the night of eve here, Philip. Uh-huh. It's the eve of war. Uh, I want someone to drink with. But like, what is him? Is he a fishing buddy? What do they have in common? This guy doesn't look like he likes killing. Is 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 that maybe his squire? I don't I don't know. The kid he looks like a kid. He's just. Tiny. I mean, he's not a knight, so I don't know that he's necessarily entitled to a squire. I'm not sure. Uh, And if someone assigned him to it, I don't think he would take to it kindly. So I I just thought it was funny that the hound had any friends. I know, and they conspicuously walk him in together and sit him down at the same table. Like I think the hound should have walked in alone and just sat in a corner table and like you know drunkenly slurred challenges at at Braun. It's it's interesting, and there's this guy I don't think ever seen before, and he's kind of act like. I mean, he's trying to act like the parts. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I think it would be funnier if that guy was sitting at that table and the yeah. hound came in and sat down and just stared at him until he left. Yeah. I mean, he did <laughs> do that to that table full of people. Him uh-huh. and his buddy did. But, yeah, I know what you mean. I just feel like this guy should have been bigger and, like, a lot less clean cut. Yeah. And a lot more, like, sweaty and maybe scarred and dangerous. This guy is, like, a, a pretty – I don't know. Maybe he's a real motherfucker, and that's why him and the the hound get along. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, is uh, it also, like, um, I think this is the second time we've heard the Reigns of Castamere. Uh, in, in this episode? <laughs> no, in, in, in the series. Okay. Like, they really... They play it a lot, yeah. They do They do end up playing a lot. Sorry for the spoiler, the Reigns of Castamere <laughs> that's so conspicuously displayed in this episode becomes... It's the great. It's the Lannister's greatest hit. Yeah. Um, and as they kind of ascend the power... By consolidating their grip on on King's Landing and and winning these uh, these the, this initial battle, um, you know that becomes a lot more popular. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good, and I like I real I forgot that they had this is the episode where they have the acapella singing at the end. Oh yeah, um, and it uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a little. What do you say? It's not a chilling song. It's a song that gives you chills. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, I thought it was a, an interesting choice, and and Game of Thrones does make some surprising choices with its credits music from time to time. Yeah, uh, I felt like this was one of them. I wanted maybe something, I don't know, a little more of the era. This uh-huh. didn't this didn't really feel like something that would have been, I don't know, around at the time. But hmm, why do you say that? I don't know. Um, I, I think more of like you know drums and and some kind of musical accompaniment mm. in the songs of of the time but i can see braun i suppose like you know minstrels would be out there just singing and and, and braun in his capacity of the commander of the gold cloaks who's trying to marshal the city's defenses is trying to bolster them about like you know don't count the lannisters out because the last house that said you ain't shit and we don't need to bow and scrape before you got got, and mm-hmm. they are no longer around. There is no one left to hear the rains falling on or their hall- halls. So yeah. I, I thought I thought it was appropriate. Um, okay. It is funny because, like, in the Game of Thrones universe, it does seem like there's only essentially two songs. There's, like, the Bear yeah. and the Maiden Fair and Reigns of Gasimir. Uh-huh. So there's just two state it's 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 like game it's like Grand Theft Auto and only there's two radio stations and they play the same two songs. <laughs> All right, let's go to Tyrion having his armor put on by his squire Podrick. Varys gives him a nap, uh, a nap, a map. Yeah, there's an app for he, King's sure Landing defense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Before before he had this scene cuz this was a pretty good scene. Uh Varys gives him a map of the tunnels of King's Landing. Tyrion says he doesn't want to use the map to escape. Um, implying that he's going to use it for strategic purposes. Uh, Varys tells Tyrion that Stannis is following the Lord of Light, and it would be a terrible thing if he were to sit on the Iron Throne. Uh, And he says Tyrion's the only man who can stop him. Yeah, there's an interesting... There's a lot of interesting things going on in the scene. I like the... um, the, I don't know. Because, like, we... um, there's some, I guess, witty repartee. Like Tyrion ac- accuses Varys of being a boy fucker, which I always think is a cheap shot. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything from Varys that would imply that. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think he has any weaknesses along those lines. I mean, for one thing, he has no penis nor balls, mm-hmm. um, and he's never let on that he's got any kind of like, like little finger teasing. Like a lot of people do, but like it seems like it's. It seems like it's just it's just cheap shots. Um, the yeah. other thing is he hints about this hatred he has for dark magic, and then por- says this line about "Have I ever told you of my story of how I got cut?" Mm-hmm. Implying that there's more to that story. Yep. Um, but it's another little shade of for Varys. He hates he hates magic users. And he starts it off. Uh, he starts off the next sentence with "One day," which I, I think begins a story <laughs> that uh-huh. he's about to tell, and then he says, "I will." <laughs> Yeah. That's like disappointed because <laughs> I wanted to hear this. A story. long, long time ago in a town far, far away. Yeah. A guy cut my balls and penis <laughs> off the end. <laughs> that was a, well, that was a story. <laughs> yeah. Not as good as I was hoping. Varys, he never says, he's a master whispers, not storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Davos hears the bells and he starts a, a sick drum beat of his own. To, yeah. to combat those drums He's, are badass like playing uh dueling banjos here except <laughs> dueling bells and drums uh yeah the drums work not just for the men uh and the troops but also for the audience you know it gets the audience pumped too i certainly yeah was. yeah uh and then Tyrion reminds Braun of the plan as they bid each other good luck in battle uh Tyrion sees sansa coming into the throne room to see joffrey and joffrey makes sansa kiss his new sword heart eater uh, Sansa makes some failed insults, which doesn't really sit well with Joffrey, but he's got other things to do, so he can't, like, punish her in the moment. Yeah, he's... Sansa's really pushing it, and I guess... 
what I've understood after I've watched this, I don't know how many times I've seen this episode, and I've already done at least one, <laughs> two, no, two podcasts on it before. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I feel like that Sansa understands that this is a good thing for her. That if she survives the sack of King's Landing, you know, her father thought highly of Stannis. You know, Stannis can hardly be worse than Joffrey. It's not like she's done anything wrong. I really feel like she's got a sincere belief that this is her... This is her ticket out of here. And I don't think, you know, this is before Sansa starts laying down the law about, like, you know, how everybody gets raped and pillaged and burnt. But I think that's that's her sincere, sincere belief. Um, so that's why she's extra insolent, because she doesn't expect Joffrey to survive and she expects herself to be vindicated. And this is the this is kind of first real strong resistance to Joffrey that hasn't been, like, under, your bre- under her breath or, like, yeah. something that she's... I, I mean... It's Joffrey's still like, veiled. But it, it's veiled, but it's like her hardly. attitude is betraying it more. Yeah. And like you said, Joff understands the insult, can't quite pinpoint where it's hitting him because she's saying the right things. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, he doesn't. He also doesn't have time to, to fuck with her right now. Right. Uh, I love the dialogue between Braun and Tyrion. Like, mm-hmm. there's some of this stuff is in the book, but I know a lot of it is kind of show only. They really... The, the chemistry between Braun and Tyrion is such on screen that I know the Double D's kind of le- leaned into that. And I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, Tyrion calling him friend. And Braun's like, oh, we're friends now. And he's like, well, just because I don't pay you money for your services doesn't make us friends. He's like, or doesn't make us not friends. Because, yeah, it enhances the friendship. I, oh, I, enhances. That's a fancy word. I've been <laughs> hanging out with fancy <laughs> lads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's, it's great. It's, it's great. It's great pre-battle pit, uh, patter. and uh, For sure. They uh, they deliver it well. Yeah, one of my favorite pairings, Tyrion and Bronn. Uh, let's move on to the wall. Uh, Joffrey's questioning Tyrion's plans when he doesn't see any of their ships in the bay. And Tyrion uh, dismisses him with kind of... I don't know, he's got some insults of his own. He's very dismissive here. Uh, Davos also notices that there are no ships in the bay, and he wonders, what the hell's up with that? He's He's not... His I don't feel like his son ever gets what's happening here. No, because his son his son is filtering everything through the prism of the Lord of Light has foreseen this victory and our yeah. victory is assured. Where Davos was like, yeah, and he's but. thinking, oh, there was d- discontent among the ranks and maybe the ships pieced out. Right, like left. I don't know how the God of the the Lord of Light's going to give us his battle, but he's going to give us a battle, and this might be. And he's looking for signs, yeah. right, right. And whereas Davos is looking like where they can get fucked, and yeah. and uh, yeah. and and honestly, it seemed like to be the only one because I don't even detect like any kind of wariness from Stannis, which I found surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Stannis is obviously sort of hanging back. Um, so I don't know how much information he has at any given time because mm-hmm. he's pretty far back there. Because when the wildfire goes off, right, his he's out of ship range. Is, yeah, is preserved. Um, so then we see Cersei giving Sansa some wine. She notices uh, Sansa notices Ill and pain in the room. Cersei explains that he's there for their protection. And then someone comes in with a report about stealing horses. And Cersei says to put those people's heads on spikes. And Ill and pain goes to do just that, which. Sansa notices, and she's a little concerned by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cersei in this scene is is wearing like video game armor, like the kind of armor that doesn't actually cover anything or protect you from anything. I don't know what good a metal corset does you if Stannis busts into that room with sixty of his dudes. It doesn't, but it kind of it kind of 
it, it kind of, I think, underlines her statements about how hollow a woman's courage is allowed to be in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. I, or if I was my brother, I would have been trained to have a sword, and I might be able to do something this sense. But here, I'm just here. It's, it's This is what is expected of me. I'm supposed to be courageous and strong and bold, and look here, I got my gold tits out. And I think that's that's... It, you're, you're supposed to recognize how silly and ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. This is the Lannister idea of how to arm arm a woman. Yeah, and the wine is definitely helping her with all that courageous, bold yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think any of the hun- hen- hens are going to be crowing about how you, you, you helped them out on this one, Cersei. Sorry, I just I mean, really don't think it's going to happen. They might go back and say, I mean, she barely, she hardly seemed to even notice that there was a battle. But she was very, very drunk, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, and she's just... So saucy. I love how Lena yeah. Hetty plays her, and she's forcing Sansa to drink, and she's just she's like disgusted that Sansa is, is still the thing that she wishes she could be, but not mm-hmm. that's not even true because she wishes she was a man at this point. It's like I, there's just a lot of a lot of layers to her pathos, and that that you see scenes like this, and you, you kind of understand where she's coming from, yeah. and you feel start to feel a little bit sorry for her, and and you get that that sense of impending doom in these scenes with Cersei. I, I think it's really well uh, cut this episode. Mm-hmm. This episode is very well edited because you're cutting between the battle and the, the threat and then Cersei's whole, just in this hole of keep where she's hoping that the forces her city has will be enough to do the job. And if not, she has no hope herself yeah, of stopping it, them. The rhythm is such that it really, the way they do the, the editing is that as the as the episode gets bigger and bigger in terms of spectacle and war and gore, the uh, editing is is they they cycle around all the characters faster and faster, and you get this mm-hmm. sensation of like you're watching like a, a plate spinning yeah. thing, and the it, everything's getting more intense, and like you got to get around and spin the plates faster and faster, and it gives you this real sense of urgency. And kind of keeps you off base, and you can't really tell, uh, you know, who's going to win or lose until the very end. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 really it's it's really great filmmaking. All right, so we go to Stannis ships entering the bay. A single Lannister ship goes out to meet them, and Davos sees that it's empty and it's spreading wildfire through the bay. It's too late, and with a single arrow, Bronn ignites the wildfire, taking out a huge portion of Stannis' fleet. Stannis commands the remaining fleet to land on the shores. Once again, this is, I think, the final scene that Roy Dotry's uh, Rest in Peace has was ever in, but he really mm. had a lot of fun being a pyromancer, just with yeah, his old man. Yeah, that torch. Yeah, his, <laughs> yeah, his old man Glee, and, and like he was like one of the few <laughs> ones besides Joffrey who reacted positively to the effects of the substance. Yeah, this is like a guy who, you know, builds, designs and builds robots for a living, seeing one turned on <laughs> right, for the first time. Right, and it's, it's like, it's oh, rampaging I've, through I've made city. all this wildfire, I want to uh-huh, see it in action. Uh-huh, yeah. Here's the flame, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he almost clips the hound with it, which uh, kind of scares the hound. And then you can see when the wildfire goes up, the, the hound's face, there's a look of almost uh, sorrow for the people who are burning. Yeah, you know? and, and and a deep, primal, animal-level fear. And you saw that, yeah. like, Tyrion kind of, like, the dis- and, like, even Bronn kind of disgusted at just the wholesale instant pitiless, merciless carnage yeah. that they've they've un- unleashed with one stroke. And, like I said, Joff is kind of, like, thrilling to it, and the pyromancer, but everybody else, everybody else uh, 
is and and the, the explosion itself is just so cool. It, it's very impressive um, and and awesome and kind of like the Old Testament kind of way. And and the the sound that makes of like the air being sucked out and the men screaming. It's it's uh, it's it's terrible. Yeah, and it, it has a real concussive force to it. You know. Yeah, it's not just oh well the ship went up in flames. Right. It's, it's got a lot of pressure behind it too. And then as everybody's kind of staggered and reeling and, like, frankly shitting their pants about this, Stannis stands up and says, nope, we're going to... I st- I'm, we're still alive. we still got men. We're going to take this city. And his sub-commander is like, but my lord, hundreds will die. And he's like, thousands. So you can just see that Stannis yeah. is... Re- he is all in. He does not care what the cost is. This is the chance. He's, he's not going to get another one. And he is going to win or die. Mm-hmm. Which... Unfortunately, there's a middle path there, Stannis, which is being forced to retreat by your men screaming. Yeah. <laughs> if it was up to him, he would have won or died. Yeah. Instead, he lost and lived. Uh, okay, Cersei sees Sansa praying and asks what she's praying for. She doesn't really want to know. She just wants Sansa to drink with her so she can scare her with stories of what will happen to the women if Stannis takes the city. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this this scene is meant to reinforce the foreboding uh feeling you have um the the impending doom coming for them uh, and i think it's really effective yeah and it's also you know cersei has this very cynical but accurate uh view of of women's place in this world that you know yeah. and, and her 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 estimation women have two two weapons to use against the men that rule the world tears to make them feel bad and and their uh their vagina to make them to make them feel good Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 what a, a woman does, and uh, you know then then the way she starts talking about all these women, you know, getting raped, and the way the men behave during uh, a sack of a city, mm-hmm. um, it, you can tell that like this is so. I mean, Stanza got a taste of this on the streets of King's Landing the other day, but yeah, this is just this is just super real, and and, and this time and the hound won't be able to save her. Right, right. there there and, is no force in King's Landing once the walls fall that can save them. In fact, you start to appreciate that that Sir Illyn Payne, uh, the Lannister henchman, is there to slaughter them all to prevent them from facing that fate. Yeah. Um. So not only will you not have a protector, you'll have essentially a living suicide pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And uh. Yeah. And again, she's you know like there's this constant urge to have Sansa drink, which reminded me a little bit of like the episode in Breaking Bad where Walter White forces. Walt Jr. to drink until he gets thrown. It was like that, that kind of like bullying behavior by an adult to is grappling with something that they should, you know, <laughs> instead of instead of being instead of being the rock for the child, they're just like, you know, using a child as a punching bag. And it's uh, it's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And I actually got the impression the first time through that maybe Cersei had put the essence of Nightshade into the wine already. Right. And that this this was the moment where their fates were sealed. I think on first time through, you're supposed to, as she keeps on saying, drink, drink, you're supposed to realize that, yeah, and you're, you're you know, I mean, like I said, as, as you talk about all this first time experience, like, man, you're right, they do a lot in this episode to make you think that, oh, this could be the end for several characters. <laughs> yeah, for all of the Lannisters. And, you know, as we, we, we've seen in Game of Thrones, like, that's its charm, is that, like, for the most part, you are... You can't say that anyone is really safe. No. And if someone's the good guy, then they're probably going to die. And if someone's the bad guy, they're probably going to die. And sometimes if you're just minding your own business trying to sit on the fence, you die. Uh, <laughs> right now, the only person who's safe, I think, is Rob. 
Rob and his men are up in the north. They're they're nowhere near King's Landing. They're pretty safe at the moment. Yes, because Tywin's on the other way. Also, and that's the thing. Like you know, Tywin deciding to to do this stroke to like kind of abandon, like flee, to abandon the field for Rob to to fall back and defend the city is mm-hmm. you know, despite all Tyrion's cunning and bravery, that's what saves the day. It is. Because yeah. Stannis absolutely like would have won had it not been for that. Yeah, all Tyrion did was buy the time for uh, Tywin to get there. So yeah, now you 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 wonder at the end of this episode, will Tyrion be rewarded now that his mm-hmm. father's here? Who you know he's Tyrion isn't the hand of the king; he's acting hand of the king, yeah. keeping the seat warm for his father. What's his father going to do? What Good kind question. of recognition will he get for his valid, for his meritorious service? Uh huh. Uh, so Stannis boats are landing on the shore. Tyrion tells the archers to hit him with flaming arrows. Uh, that takes care of a bunch of them, but they manage to make it to the mud gate anyway, where the hound and his men fight them. Uh, <laughs> I love the scene with the hound where he he goes down there and he he tells the archers if anybody shoots me with a flaming arrow or shoots anywhere near me with a flaming arrow, I'll strangle you, you with your own guts. Right. Uh, it, yeah. I don't know. I just love the hound. I also Tyrion's line about as he sees Stannis just rowing through all this wildfire, completely exposed to these flaming arrows. He's like, "That Stannis is a serious man." Yeah, and he boy is he. I mean, Stannis doesn't bother to let his men go first at this point, right? That's and he's that's... on the front line. He's the first man up the ladder. He's the first man on the shore. And you're supposed to, I mean, and I think you do, see the difference between him and Joffrey and yeah. even Cersei. Like, how they view... The the, the reason he's such a, a good military commander, other than his grasp of tactics and strategy, is because he is able to inspire his men. And he does that through a lot of foolhardy bravado. But mm-hmm. he knows this is a desperate situation. Like, if he had not lost all of his fleet and so many men, I don't know that he is on the front lines. Yeah. yeah. Because that wouldn't be the smart thing to do. But now where the odds are so even and this is all standing on the edge of a blade, he knows, like, if I'm not there and and like leading, if I'm not leading this suicide charge and nobody is going to fight as hard or they might not even do it. So, like, this, he's maximizing mm-hmm. his chances for victory. Uh, with a d- new set of circumstances. I thought that's cool. And it also shows that, like, yeah, people haven't just been bullshitting about Stannis being right. being good at this. Yeah. He is, he is, uh, he deserves his reputation for being a, f- a, f- a fierce, tough man. Yeah, and you can also see um, the contrast, but also the similarities between, like, Tyrion and Stannis, because they're both using the tools that they have. Stannis right. is not a man who delivers flowery speeches to motivate his troops. He simply charges ahead and leads by example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion, on the other hand, while he is courageous in, in very similar ways, he is able to rouse the troops with uh, speech, you know? Right. Um, which is one of my absolute favorite scenes in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I think the speech he delivers is awesome. The brave men at the gate speech. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's great, but we'll get there. Uh, Cersei tells Sansa about how Robert treated her after she became queen, and it's not great. Uh, she instructs Shay on how to curtsy and begins picking away at her background where she spots some holes in her tail and asks Shay to tell the whole thing. But Lance will bust into Cersei um, to tell Cersei how poorly the battle is going before she can, you know, sniff out Shay's background. And Cersei tells him, pull Joffrey back into the Red Keep. And then she sits down with Sansa to tell her why Aelin Payne is really here to kill them if Stannis takes the city. Yeah. Um, 
So there again, we just talked about the difference between Joffrey and Stannis um, mm-hmm. and how like Joffrey talks such a big game. Yeah. And then he's such a craven coward. And even then, his mother tells him to do this and Lancel relays the message. But it was up like no one's going to make the king no. a, a flee the battlefield. And mm-hmm. everyone's saying like the Hound is saying, Tyrion's saying, even Lancel is on the side of like, if you run, the men are going to fight. Why should they? Yeah, and Joff takes off anyway because mm-hmm. he's a fucking coward. Coward, coward is at its finest. Uh, yeah, I I don't know how much more we want to say about Shay. I think we've we talked about that stuff earlier. Um, yeah, yeah, we can move on. Okay, we go back to the fighting. Uh, Bronn saves the Hound when a man on fire rushes at him, uh, causing him to freeze up. And the Hound decides he's going to pull his men back in behind the walls because he's pretty shaken by it. And Stannis goes over the walls with ladders, and he is the first one up there. I don't know how he makes it. But... We, we skipped on this thing about where a, a, a rock hits the dude's head that's stand, standing yeah. right beside him and just splashes his face with blood. Uh-huh. And it it maybe staggers him for like a quarter of a second, but he's like, you know, bellowing for ladders just a minute later. And again, the first guy up first guy up on the wall. Yeah. Um, he is a, he, he's a monster, and so is the hound. Like, the hound cuts a man in half yeah it's awesome <laughs> uh with one swing an armored man in half it's it's nuts like how unstoppable he is until this fire like puts yeah. the fear of him and he starts getting that that ptsd and things are going blurry and like he's starting to see the the he can feel the heat off the fire even though mm-hmm. it's ne- not necessarily anywhere near him and the man on fire rushing him you know this is all stuff that we knew about the hound and we're seeing all these weaknesses play out and yeah. it's going to drive him to do some rash things. Have we seen Bronze archery skills before on display? I don't display? think so. Because he's pretty good here. I mean, um, he hit a football-sized target from a couple hundred yards well, away. Well, he, so. hit, he hit this guy through the eye, too, as oh, he was charging at the right. hound. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Pretty good shot. I don't know how far away he is. It's hard to tell. but Right. It's No, you're right. That's 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 a hell of a shot. Yeah. Um, so kudos to the to Braun for saving the hound. He's just a he's just a ace at martial martial skills, and the, the fact that like it kind of Braun gives him kind of the friendly nod after uh-huh. he does it, because he's like, yeah, you know, bygones. You didn't you didn't you didn't you didn't, you didn't kill me over our little I don't know horse spat, so uh-huh. everything's cool. See, I saved your life, big guy. And also like. See, I'm just as serious about this stuff as you are. Right. Like, we both enjoy killing. We are very similar. You just can't get off it, man. Yeah, your problem is, <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm killing dudes, and I was singing, whoring, and drinking before <laughs> right. I did. You were just feeling sorry for yourself. So yeah. who's the better one? It's kind of like the Greeks always debate that about the Spartans. Like, okay, yeah, Spartans right. are all fierce in battle, but, you know... Yeah, and we're just philosophers, and we say, but like you know, we 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 live happy lives, and then still go and fight our wars. So fuck those guys. Bronn, uh, uh, Bronn's definitely not not the Spartan. No, no, definitely he's a Roman. Uh, so the, the Hound is guzzling wine. Uh, Tyrion scolds him for coming back behind the walls, but he doesn't care. He says, uh, "Fuck everybody, fuck King's Landing, fuck the king," uh, which probably. Not a great decision if you decide to stay in King's Landing, but we see later on he doesn't. And there's nobody can stop him. No, the not, king, not at the this The King's moment. Guard, none of these guys. So Stannis begins ramming the gates, and Lancel pulls Joffrey back to the keep over Tyrion's protests. Tyrion sees how low the morale is, and he decides to lead the attack himself, and he delivers a hell of a speech to get his men to follow him back into battle. Uh, and they, they come 
around. He did it. <laughs> like those are brave men out there. Let's go fuck them in the ass. Essentially. Yep. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good speech. Yeah, One of my favorite since, scenes. Especially since he's just improvising, and you see, yeah, you can kind of see like him wild eye looking, and he's like, "I'll lead the attack." Like yep. he can't. It, he plays it like a man who can't believe these words are coming out of his mouth, and like mm-hmm. he gets off the thing, and he he he's handed his axe and the helm, and he, like his eyes are wild, like you know, shit. I guess my feet are going to take me to do this thing, and everyone's <laughs> following me, and he's the only one who can, and I. I I wonder if Varys' words are ringing in his ears at this moment um, about him being the only man who can save them. Because uh, he's just lost everyone who potentially could. The Hound has noped out. Lancel right. has taken Joffrey off to hide. Right. There is the no one else. And the men saw it. And the yeah. men saw it. And they don't want to follow Tyrion. They don't want to fight anymore. No. Uh, because but, and this is all, like, this pays off the other stuff where they were walking through the city and they heard everyone talking about the... The murderous little monkey like mm-hmm. he, he knows that this is what the men think so he's he's got to dig deep to, to find some motivation and it kind of miraculously he does yeah and i like how he uses you know his his smaller stature to the not, shame, not shame them kinda. i mean sort of and Pete, like like look at me and like i'm only a half man but i'm going yeah. after the battle so what's that make you less than a half man yeah Hey, try- I, I guess they feel the shame in that moment, I, sure. and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's I'm mean, I'm not saying it's right because, but it's 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 a well mind like the 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 White Feather campaign of World War One. Like you you insult a man's courage, and uh, it tends to get their blood up because it's reverse psychology, right? Yeah, that's the that's the patriarchy oh, swinging the other way. You guys, even if you wanted to, you couldn't stop Stannis. <laughs> I mean, Stannis, look at him. Look right. how tough he is. Right. There's nothing you could do. Yeah, you're just all a bunch of girly men. <laughs> right. Uh, so then we go to Lancel telling Cersei that the battle is lost and he wants to escort Joffrey uh, back to the battle so that he can hopefully get his men back on board. Uh, Cersei <laughs> knocks him down and then goes into the other room and Sansa is there to kind of calm the other women. Uh, Shea sends Sansa away knowing that she you know, has a chance to escape here potentially i don't know she goes to her chambers where the hound is hiding and he says he's going away and he offers to take sansa with him to take her back to winterfell and she turns this down for some unknowable reason this is so fucking stupid oh only in retrospect because again she thinks that she's going she's going to be fine when stannis wins and stannis should win and and she's afraid of the hound this guy is a drunken guy who's his who gives her speeches about how much he likes killing and yeah while he's in his cups he's offering me help but when we're on the long road to winterfell no this is the guy who saved her from being raped for no apparent reason yeah but I also think that it's unrealistic to think that Sansa is going to see the Hound offering her to fight his way through King's Landing and out of it and take her to Winterfell is the safe option. Like, she but chose I, wrong, for sure. But from uh-huh. her point of view as a 14-year-old girl terrified of this of this very scary man mm-hmm. who's, again, very drunk and who's covered in blood. <laughs> Who, again, saved her from being raped just episodes ago. Yeah, but why, Like, but here's the thing. Why does Sansa think she does, he did that? Because he's a good guy? Because he immediately said, don't think this is because I'm a good guy. I just like killing. Mm-hmm. And when he tried to thank her, like, he just gives the scariest speech possible. And he's Joffrey's dog, so for as far as she knows... He was acting on orders, and I, these orders are consistent with my idea of, like, I love killing people. So mm. I, I said it, again, 
yeah, it's really easy to criticize all of Sansa's decisions. Um, and it's obviously she's wrong. She should have gone with the Hound. Yeah, uh, yeah. Knowing how this battle turns out, but if she stayed barred in her room and Stannis did win, I do think it's entirely possible that she would be in a very strong position because Stannis does not wish her well. In fact, she's a hostage that he can use to get concessions from uh, Rob because he wants the whole kingdom and, Mm -hmm. you know. Sure, but I I wonder... (laughs) I can't imagine that it will be very easy for her to escape Stannis' men just in general. Like, the the ransacking of the city is not going to be Stannis walking and knocking on each door and saying, is is someone of importance in here that I could maybe use? Okay, no, it's so going to be it's going to be his men rampaging through the city killing and fucking everything in sight. I don't I think there will be some of that, but I think there's another thing we're supposed to understand is that this is essentially Cersei's propaganda because that's what her father did. Mhm. When he sacked King's Landing back when the when Jamie murdered King Aerys uh and Tywin Tywin uh, uh, stormed the city and took over. He you know, destroyed the former family. He had Gregor Clegane like slaughter the the royal children and and rape the 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 prince's wife and all this stuff. She's projecting that on Stannis. I don't think Stannis would let his men go through. Like he, he's a very disciplined commander and he's very law and order. I mean, he's the guy mm-hmm. who cut off Davos's fingers because he's a smuggler and then promoted him the knight because he saved his life. Yeah, but, I, I think but we're does supposed Sansa to know that. I. Well, I mean, that's I'm, what that's what Shay just told her. Uh-huh. And, you know, Shay, I think she trusts Shay at this point. Okay. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I, maybe I'm not there saying are it's reasons. not stupid. I just think that, again, from a 14-year-old girl, girl's perspective, this guy entering her room and being drunk as hell and covered in blood mm-hmm. and scary and, and all the things he's told her um, have, like, like, if he had found an ounce of humanity in him after when she tried to thank him for saving her from being raped, <laughs> this might have gone differently. But that's, uh-huh. again, part of the tragedy of the Game of Thrones. All right, so Tyrion leads his men out to, as he said, fuck Stannis in the ass, which works actually a little too well because uh, Tyrion realizes too late that there are many more men on their way to fuck their own asses. Uh, one of the King's Guard turns on Tyrion during the battle and slashes his face before Podrick puts a spear through the guy. Yeah, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. King's Guard coming after him. Yeah, it seems like uh, if maybe the king has ordered that, potentially. Could be. Because um, I don't know why else you would take this moment where there's a ferocious battle raging to try and kill Tyrion. Yeah, it's a bit of a, an, it's a, bit of a mildly interesting mystery. Okay. Uh, sure. I think that uh, I also like how... Uh, Peter Dinklage plays this like he's so he's kind of like kind of like creeping up and, and, and inching up towards the guy like like it looks like me trying to kill a spider like a big spider <laughs> with the newspaper uh-huh. like oh icky and then he just cuts the dude's leg in half and 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 has to kind of gingerly finish the guy off mm-hmm. and yeah it works like he can everyone's ch- chanting the half men and yeah. then you see this wave of men and everything looks everything looks lost yeah Stannis has outmaneuvered him yep yep uh, and he takes a wound to the face, which is not immediately obvious why it is incapacitating to him. Maybe he's just not yeah. used to getting cut in the face. I'm not used it to it. It doesn't look like the blood loss would have done it. No, it's like a trickle. It's yeah. not that bad. I wonder if it would have been better if it was like above his brow and like just a curtain of blood fell and got in his eye. Mm-hmm. And then like that, that, that would, I believe, would be a little bit more incapacitating, would certainly look more gruesome. But yeah. The, the, the brutal reality is. Uh, 
Tyrion's supposed to get a really fucked up scar in this battle and takes off his nose. Hmm. So he's just like this got this skull like visage for the rest of the series and they just they just are not gonna do that to Peter Dinklage. He's too handsome. He still has his nose at the end of the scene, so yeah. 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 He's like he's uh but but uh you know, it's it's a much, much worse vicious wound uh, mm-hmm. that he takes in the books. The other thing that I really like in this scene is when Stannis cuts the top of that guy's head off. Oh Jesus, it's like he's I forgot how walking back. dead this thing is. Yeah. yeah. Like there is just some some top notch gore. There is, yeah. That guy got the curtain of blood in his eyes. He got, yeah. That's that's the last thing he saw. Mm-hmm. So we go to the, speaking of the last thing, the final scene, Cersei tells Rickon a story about the horrible stags and the wolves in the woods and how brave the lion cub was. Uh, all the while, it's sort of intercut with images of the battle. And she watches the throne room door, essence of nightshade in hand, ready to kill them both before Stannis can reach them. As Rickon's about to give uh, to take the nightshade, Tywin walks into the throne room to announce that the battle is over and they have won. It's a great scene. Yeah, and it's I. If, if in case people are confused, because you see a Baratheon soldier cutting a swath through all of these, uh, uh, you know, Stannis's men. That's that's Loras who's wearing Rinley's battle armor as a tribute to his former lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot and like. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool, but it was a little confusing because you have to figure out a whole lot of shit in this one reveal that, you know, the Tyrells have made a peace gesture to uh, Tywin uh, to join forces to repel Stannis because they hate Stannis. And huh, I didn't I didn't know about the uh, Tyrell part. What's indicating the Tyrell? Because Loras is here with all these all these men. OK, yeah. For some reason, I thought that was Lancel who walked in. They look so much alike. No, no, Lan- Lancel, Lancel uh, walks Lancel in, and, and Cersei yeah. punches him in the armpit where he took the arrow, yeah. and he starts just screaming. No, yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 Loras when he pulls off as he strides in. He's got this like big white sash on, and he pulls off yeah. the helmet, which had those little cool stag things. And uh-huh. it's yeah, and it's Ty- time on the horse. And then then once you see that, then Tywin's right behind him, like oh yeah, like I said, mm-hmm. you have to figure out a whole bunch of shit. Um, and he yeah. says, yeah, we won. They did. They won, uh, and I guess Stannis was just dragged away, screaming. Yeah, he's very man. delusional, like because he does. He wants to. He wants to die, mm-hmm. um, because I think he doesn't think he'll get another chance. Yep. With he's he's lost so many so many men, and he had this you know this this huge army that um, he won from his from for, for the most part from the most part from his brother uh, with that black magic, and it's all being taken away from him now. And I feel like this is a really great scene for Cersei because um, she it really is, you know, she gets to have a moment where we feel bad for her, which are very few and far between in this show when it comes to Cersei. Yeah. And the, the like this would be a heroic scene were the Lannisters, the good guys, because yeah. and they play it that way, like the relief that floods over Cersei and, the, and she instantly pours out the poison and mm-hmm. and shatters it. And it's like. Because like it's it's this relief, and she probably doesn't want to know her father or her father to think he, she weak. Uh-huh. And she's about to poison herself. Maybe that's what Pycelle was trying to say. Um, but it's uh, and I, you know I am happy. I didn't want to see I didn't want to see all those women uh, mass raped. I didn't want to see uh, Tommen have to die because mm-hmm. uh, he seems like a good lad. Tyrion likes him. Yeah, I called him Rickham before. I fucked up his name. <laughs> it's Tommen. I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's Tommen. So. 
And then, and, you know, Tywin, like, he, he looks very triumphant. And it's, uh, we yeah. haven't seen Tywin triumphant for a while. He's gotten his ass handed to him again and again and again by by Rob. Uh, that's been kind of the, the his arc for the season. He's turned it all around in this one battle. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, before we do feedback, I just wanted to talk about the Reigns of Casimir because I think this is the first time it's been a big part. And, like, you know, what does it mean? This is a song composed as a tribute to Tywin Lannister because we've talked about, as, as Tywin himself has talked about, his father, Titus, had kind of ran the Lannisters into disrepair. He was, you know, Tywin said he's too loving and caring and weak. Um, you know, there's there's a, a lot a lot of personal defects to this to this man uh, but at the end of his life, uh, the the Lannisters were at a a risk of losing the like the their their position as the paramount lord in the Westerlands, and these uh, the their rivals or political rivals, the Castamers, uh, whose sigil is also a lion. Um, when Tywin started going around after his father's death and like accepting everyone's oaths of allegiance, this guy kind of big timed him and said like. You know, why should I have to bow and scrape and pay taxes to you when I'm a lion, too, and, and my my armies are just as powerful and strong as yours? And kind of like, you know, go get your shine box, Tywin, uh, to put it in a good fellow's term. And Tywin responded by completely destroying this guy and pulling his 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 castle walls down <laughs> and, and, and putting his entire family to the sword just to make the statement that th- I am not Tytos Lannister. I'm Tywin. God damn it. Mm-hmm. And they made the Reigns of Castamir, and that's uh, the official uh, theme song for the Lannister family and their armies. There you All go. Right. Hey, do you like Bald Move? You're listening to us right now. If you like Bald Move and you want more Bald Move, you want Bald Move faster, you want Bald Move without ad f- interruptions and digressions such as this one, well, I have got a product for you. It is called club.baldmove.com. Go there, and we give you a pitch. We give you a description of all the special features, all the stuff about quips and lunch with Jim and Aarons and first-run movies and video game playthroughs and bonus audio content features and video features, all for a low monthly price. You can, or even lower quarterly price or even lower yearly price. Mm. If, you, if, you, if you really want to just, just, like, just back us for 12 months, wouldn't that be nice? You can go to club.baldmove.com to get that. And, hey, free 30-day trial by signing up club.baldmove.com now we can get the feedback Travis M there's been some amazing episodes and intriguing characters throughout the run of Game of Thrones no doubt for me though there's been no better storyline that captures both of these elements than this episode from the slow approach of Stannis's fleet to the quiet conversations and impatient atmosphere in King's Landing the episode features the small moments and political machines or machinations that set Game of Thrones apart from all other shows while featuring an epic spectacle in the Battle of Blackwater Bay extravagance that we've come to enjoy in later seasons. You find yourself rooting for both sides in a siege and loathing them at the same time. Stan has killed Rinley with blood magic and is somewhat under the influence of a red witch, but he leads from the front and you know that he'll mount Cersei and Joffrey's heads on spikes, rule as a strong leader, and appoint Davos to the handship. Tyrion shines in this episode with his clever defense of the city and courage on the battlefield, but his victory means the survival of Cersei, Joffrey, and the rat-infested royal court. You're conflicted as the two armies crash, and you get a full potent dose of the moral grayness of George's world. I feel the best moments, however, are left for the Hound. His stare down with Braun before their shared drink, his frightened eyes watching the flames consume men alive, his bring-me-wine yell, his fuck-the-king monologue, his little bird scene with Sansa, showcase the twisted torment that exists within the Hound. For the first time, it made me see him for what he truly is, a very sympathetic soul, a view which becomes more important 
uh, with his future arc. Which I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All this makes the be- the Blackwater the best episode thus far of the series. I mean, yeah, I can't argue with that. It's always been one of my top episodes. I feel like it's still top three. Yeah, even this late, even in this late in the series, certainly top five. Hmm. And the first thing that said. You know, Game of Thrones can deliver more than just sex position mm-hmm. and titillation and intellectual stimulation of like court politics and intrigue. It's right. got it's got it's got this in it. They can tell a story this big and this kind of grand and not have a problem filming action that's complicated and, and hard to follow and they've got the budget and they got the skill to do it. It's it really was a statement episode. Mm-hmm. Uh Carolee from Yukon uh, Oklahoma isn't Roz's necklace from Tyrion. We had a question about this uh, previous episode. He gave it to Roz when he was using her services in Winterfell in season one. Hmm. Theon notices her wearing it when he is with her. That's probably why Cersei thought it was Roz. Um, a lot of people sit in that correction. I just did not remember the scene with Theon. Uh, and Roz stuff is always a little bit foggy because she's a she's a show character. So like stuff that I see in the show that then. Or I read in the books, I see in the show is like reinforced, and when there's a conflict, it's not. So, <laughs> again, this is a remix of a lot of different book plots to put the show character Roz in a situation that a book character is in, and I got confused. I apologize. Luke D. Hey, Aaron. Wondering if you could be some or do something for those of us who have listened to the podcast for years. Could you throw in a mildly interesting somewhere in the podcast as a nod to your references and later ones? I miss hearing it. Well, if you were listening real sharp, Luke, you already got your wish. Sure did. Lizzie, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I see our resident superstar, George R.R. R. Martin, pretty regularly around town, at the grocery store, at his movie theater, or driving down the road Through to my parents' Through his windows house. at night. <laughs> <laughs> with my 50X binoculars, uh-huh. with night vision. A few weeks ago, my partner and I were listening to your podcast on a rare kid-free date night as we drove to the concert. We're not book readers, and when you discussed the names of Planetos and Southeros, we found it hilarious. Yes. Once we arrived at the venue, we would tell one another we were heading to the bathroom aros or the bar aros <laughs> and so on. I was cracking one of these dumb jokes, uh, and I turn around, and who is standing behind me but Germ himself? <laughs> no. I was too intimidated to speak to him. Who knows what he thought or even if he overheard, but I couldn't help being charmed by the whole scenario. Awesome. Uh, later, we had the opportunity to watch and dance to Wilco, and now my partner and I have our own dance move called the <laughs> called German. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to demonstrate yeah. what it what it is to do the German. Um, so we have a story. Do you remember our, our buddy Peter? Mm-hmm. He went to George at Gen Con and kind of talked shit to his face because of something I said back in the day. I'd said something like, um, "Germ has 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 ripped off a lot of J.R.R.'s uh, Tolkien stuff. In fact, even the R.R." Like I, I just, uh-huh. I just joke where I'm like, there's, I don't, I don't believe George R. R. Martin actually. I don't think he has an R. R. in his middle name. I think there's no fucking way a guy is born and decides to write like uh, a, a, a critique slash takedown slash better version of of Tolkien's work and actually has the same pretentious R. R. British stuffy professor name. No fucking way. And Peter essentially asked him that, like. Is your is your RR stuff just ripping off Tolkien and like and Martin was kind of offended by it really and which I guess because number one if you don't know Peter he always frames stuff in the biggest asshole way that you can, can like he can't abrasive. he can't help himself yeah and also 
Like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would it could be funny as a joke, like, if you put it that way. But, yeah, it, it really pissed Martin off. Yeah, depending on how you say it, uh, it could be either funny or insulting. Yeah, I wonder what he would say if, like, he overheard someone making, like, obvious Game of Thrones meta jokes. I guess it'd, I'd probably feel good. I, I would think so. I mean, it's to like, inspire that in people. Yeah, like, like I'm just, I'm, there's people are having this random conversation and, and having fun at my material's expense. I think it would feel good. It wouldn't feel like an attack, like your fake ass middle name that's just 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 a pretentious allusion to J.R.R. Tolkien mm-hmm. <sighs> but anyway thanks for telling us that Liz and we do I, I need to get a description if not a video of of you guys German or better yet Germ himself Germing yeah because it's got to be like some kind of uh, Elaine dance from Seinfeld right right yeah uh, or maybe it's like, like a that suit- involves like uh, a lot more suspenders. Yeah, or, or maybe the guy's like smooth, like Usher on the dance floor. Yeah, holy He's shit! He's just like doing all this weird technical breakdowns and you know, it's pivots and spins, and uh-huh. I, I, I would, I, I could also get down with knowing that. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's it for the non-spoiler feedback. Uh, as always, if you like to send feedback onto the show, we got one more episode. One more episode. I. Do you think we'll do a wrap-up podcast? I don't feel like we will on the off-season stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't think we'd do that on the, the rewatches. Um, so. so we got one more episode of Game of Thrones to discuss. If you'd like mm-hmm. to send us feedback before we sign off until next year, uh, do so at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, you can also get on our forums and discuss uh, whatever you want about Game of Thrones or other things uh, that fall within the acceptable rules of our forum. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just have you can't advocate for the violent overthrow of the government. Uh, you can't share pornography. Uh, you can't share illegal content. There's a couple things. There's just a couple. I, I just don't want to make it like anything. I don't want the hound to show up and be all like "fuck the king." All right, mm-hmm. but you can go to forums at baldmove that that baldmove.com and discuss it there. Follow us on social media. Uh, keep your ear to the ground at baldmove.com for new stuff. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the spoiler section. All right, we're back with spoilers. Um, I did. You have any have any little uh, thing nuggets? Any nuggets? Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny when Bron was talking about you know how this hound has a size advantage, but he's smaller, he and faster. Um, He's got speed, and then we see what happened with the mountain uh, and Oberon, right? Yeah. Uh, Later on, I think it's season four. Uh, The the Cleganes. Are, are definitely intimidating, but they can be beaten by smaller, faster people. Certainly. Yeah, you don't want to monologue over what you think is incapacitated Clegane. Oh, That's yeah. That's a bad yeah, way to go. Not. And I hope, I hope, should we ever be graced with with, with, with the glory that is the Clegane Bowl, <laughs> hallowed be its name, mm-hmm. that, that fucking... Sandor doesn't forget that. Yeah, I don't want to hear any long like, "Oh, the brazier's on the other face now." I just, just, just <laughs> end it, end it, please. He's not one for for many words. Uh, I don't think he would he would get in there. And no, monologue. it doesn't seem like a monologuer. But no. uh, I just, I just, I just don't want him to go out like that. However, if this fight had taken place between the Hound and Bronn, you know, Bronn would have monologued afterward. Right, you know it. Right. He gets the hound down on the ground, and he starts mouthing off, and the hound's going to grab him and throw him in the fire. Right. I thought it was interesting how when Tyrion sh- chide Shay about, look, you can't fuck your way out of everything, mm-hmm. she's like, well, it worked so far. And I felt like that was a little bit of a portent towards 
uh, season four mm-hmm. when you know Tyrion's noose uh, head is halfway in the noose. She tries to fuck herself out of the situation she's in. Yeah, turns over state uh, uh, turns over state's evidence on Tyrion and then starts sleeping with his father, which ultimately dooms her. But it's like that's uh, she's going to either try to the knife her way out or fuck her way out. And, I don't know if that uh, knife would have done a damn thing. I mean, it would it would have probably it, killed the first man tried the first one, yeah. And then you know, then, <laughs> and then the then eight behind him probably would have got her. Or they're enraged and they kill her. Like I just feel yeah. like she wasn't. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I would I'd be rooting for her. I just always yeah. think she's delusional. Like yeah, with her sure. her place in this whole thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no. she's delusional about how little of a threat she sees. Pretty much everywhere. Do you, so I, I I keep coming back to like does. Shay really care about Tyrion? Does she care about Tyrion the way the average sex worker cares about a client? Like, there might be a connection there. She has affection for him, but... No, I think she cares more for him, and and that they... is betrayed later on by all the stuff, you know, with Tywin. It's You can tell that that definitely takes a toll on her. It's not something she did... And in the show, they Just really make a point out of, out of Tyrion kind of, like, alienate her, like, yes. old Yeller style. Like, he yeah. does everything but pick up a rock and throw it at her and be like, get out of here, Shay! Mm-hmm. Get as he's wiping tears from his eyes. Like, it, 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 it's made, it, I don't know, it, it removes any kind of shades of gray from her character. And it's like, I don't know what to think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not a huge fan of her character. The season didn't do anything to kind of, like, uh, sway me from that, except for I, I did... That's the thing. Like, I, I kind of want to hate her character because I just don't think she's executed very well. But when she sticks up for Sansa, when she helps Sansa escape yeah. almost certain death um, at the hands of Sir, uh, Sir Ellen Payne, when she, you know, has got a got a dagger strapped to her leg because she's gonna she's gonna stick the first few land the first few Baratheons that come to try to get take advantage of her. It's hard not to like her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because she's, she's tough. We also do have, like, another... I think it's another full season of Shay like, not fucking getting it, right? Right. And Tyrion trying to push her away, trying to talk about the threat. Now Two that Tywin's seasons. back. Two seasons. Yeah, that, it's like mid-season four or something. Like, where... Yeah, it's like like after after the uh, uh, after the trial, after the yeah. trial by combat, after, like, it's it's the the penultimate or very last episode of, episode, of season four where he... Tyrion finally confronts and kills her. Yeah, I'm, well, I think it's like mid-season four where Tyrion goes on trial, which I view as like the turning point. Okay. Um, where Shay, like, it's no longer matters whether or not Shay gets the point because Tywin has turned her at that point. Right. So, yeah, it's like a season and a half more of this back and forth between Tyrion and Shay. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. It's It doesn't, it... I mean, I, I don't know why we blame Shay more than Tyrion, because Tyrion's fundamentally the one that has a lack of maturity. He could have at any time Braun grab her, bind her, throw her on a boat, and have her taken to lease or wherever. Yeah. And he doesn't because he he needs her in a very real way to, to prop up his esteem and his image and kind of mm-hmm. like, you know... Um, and it's just, you know, he knows that's not good for him politically. We know it's not he's it's not good for him... Uh, as far as you know, being able to play the game, but he does it anyway. And yeah, it seems like we're always like, like fuck Shay, fuck Shay. But it's it's Tyrion, the one that's got the real control here and the power in the relationship, and he just refuses to do anything about it. Yeah, but I I also blame Shay for not understanding the true trouble that they're in here, the true danger. 
Yeah. Um, cause if she did, I think she would understand that now is not the time for this and, and we could be together later, but now is a time for being very, very cautious. All right. Kyle Y. from Washington. Hey, guys, I have a question for each of you regarding your Battle of the Blackwater episode. Aaron, given your book knowledge, which parts of the battle from the books that didn't make it on screen did you miss the most? One, the raiding of the Kingswood by Tyrion's mountain clans. What? So he's referring to, remember that, like, this Tyrion beginning season brought, you know, yeah. Shaga, son of Dwarf or whatever, and all the other burnt, burnt men. And, and you see them, like... They're, here and there sporadically through the season but then they they disappear after like the third episode yeah. uh, after i think the last time you see him is when they go grab uh grandmaster pycelle and cut yeah. his beard off uh-huh. in the books as as stannis men gets closer T- Tyrion dispatches them to the kingswood so any they find if any they find any uh, baratheon spies or if uh, stannis tries a land attack they he's got this vicious band of killers that's prowling the uh, the Kingswood um, and 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 disrupting them. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the bridge of broken ships. Uh, this is where there's all this wreckage that Stannis has to use to like you know we played the we played the board game Battles of Westeros, mm-hmm. which is this fantasy fantasy flight. Yeah, fantasy flight. Um, two player. Uh, what would you call that? Uh, uh, strategy. Strategy game. game yeah. Where you resolve everything in dice. You got little miniatures and man, we play soldier. And in uh, that, like the black water is just clogged with ships and you can move your men across it to form like a, ma- a makeshift land bridge. And that part of the books happens. In fact, Tyrion goes down uh, while he's fighting on that kind of broken terrain. And the Kingsguard, hmm. Podrick doesn't stick a spear through his head. Uh, the Kingsguard, after Pod uh, attacks him, loses his balance and falls into water, and his plate <laughs> armor just takes him to the bottom and he drowns. Uh-huh. Uh, the chain, which we've talked about before, this is Tyrion's master stroke, let all of Stannis' fleet come in, raise a chain behind them so it's like three or four foot above the water so they can't escape, and then they set the entire bay on fire, uh, which does just devastate Stannis' fleet, and that's my favorite part. He also mentions Joffrey flinging the antler men with trebuchets. Um, they don't mention this in the show, but there's three giant trebuchets in the books called, uh, I think, Stannis's whores, <laughs> or maybe they're called Joffrey's whores. But they're they're, they're they're and they're named that because they're going to royally fuck Stannis. Mm-hmm. And there's been all these men who have been trying to secretly work behind the scenes to help Stannis with the invasion. They call them Antlermen because they're for the Baratheons. And Joffrey finds out about them and he nails antlers onto their head and then launches these guys at Stannis' army from trebuchets Hmm. because that's sound military tactics. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think there's even kind of a weird almost hitchhiker guide from the galaxy kind of sequence where Tyrion or someone else is out fighting and there's like a naked man with horns on his head that splatters on the ground in front of him. <laughs> uh, I, I like the chain. What, which of those four missing scenes uh, he wants to know for your questions sounds the coolest and or most fe- feasible to film for television? Oh, the chain definitely sounds the coolest. I think it's like a really good tactical move. Yeah. Um, that kind of, I don't know. I almost felt like they did too much damage to Stannis' fleet as is. Um, right to where I thought he didn't have as many men as mm-hmm. he would ever need to to take the city at that point. Mm-hmm. So if they had put the chain up behind him and just burned essentially the entirety of his fleet, I really would have felt 
Like there's Stan, Stan is just done. There's no yeah. way he can take this city now. So that's because like there again in the in the in the books there's a there is a land invasion component. So okay, the that, fleet that was, was go- like the audible the, that he the, called. The fleet was going to come in show. and secure the bay and then ferry them in across. And uh-huh. the wildfire uh, made it to where that's that's just a much much more treacherous and slow and hard. So I mean gotcha. I, I thought they adapted everything very well and maybe that's why they didn't include the chain. I heard someone said they didn't have the the, the time for it or the they didn't think they could do the CGI expense. But yeah, that's a lot of complicated shit to stage when they told the same story without the chain and you didn't have the land component of the battle and yeah so and it also i felt like there was a certain desperation in the landing um in in the show right that maybe wouldn't have been there if they had planned to land i wouldn't have felt like okay well this is the audible that Stannis is calling now that his right. fleet is totally screwed. I mean, like, like men, like it would have been an interesting spectacle for men, men to scramble over all these burnt and broken ships. It would have been, yeah. Um, and it's like just unstable and men falling and drowning. Like it, it I think it would have felt uh, a, a lot, a lot more, I guess, a storming a Normandy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it would have been very hard to pull off. It feels like more of like a season five kind of thing. Yeah, I think maybe as far as budget and time. Goes. Maybe the antler. Antler men would have been good because instead mm. of instead of Joffrey just impatiently asking where are my ships where are my ships it would have given him something sadistic but useless to do yeah yeah and then kind of sell the story that as soon as the spectacle was done and he was no longer having fun launching his helpless men then he retreated from the battlefield with with cowardice mm-hmm. but having him there by Tyrion's side also kind of gave them a good a good moment so yeah. Yeah, I, I I guess I I would like to see the chain, but I understand that would have a lot more differences than just adding the chain, as we discussed. And the antler men, I think, would have been would have been better from a storytelling perspective. All right, Andrew S. Who knows about John's resurrection outside of Davos and the Night's Watch or Free Folk? How would Sansa not know? For example, she's got there. A pretty short time afterwards, I feel like it's safe to assume that one of the people at Castle Black would have mentioned it, even if John didn't. How did the Northern Lords not know? Wouldn't they question why John just bailed in the Night's Watch and took on the Boltons? Doesn't the North take his Night's Watch vows very seriously? Uh, I guess I just feel in general that the show uh, skipped over John's resurrection quickly once it actually happened. He's magically resurrected. Tormund makes a dick joke. He kills some dudes, and then everybody besides Davos forgets about it. Why isn't this a bigger part of the story? Damn fine question. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, it does It does feel a little weird that nobody is talking about this. Um, and I, I think it's something we've mentioned on the show before mm-hmm. um, in, in the ensuing season. But, yeah, um, a lot more people should know about it, and a lot more people should be talking about it. I, and and I, I do think there's a difference in the books and the show. I, I do feel like the books are going to explore that, and... You know, because that's something that Martin has made clear that you can't come back to life unchanged. Mm-hmm. And John paid a little bit of lip service to that in season six, mm-hmm. but now it's that that's completely been forgotten about uh, to streamline it. So I think you're going to have to wait with when and if the books come out to get that kind of like satisfying John wrestling with his kind of zombie nature. Um, because they're just not interested in exploring that in the show. And probably because at the end, I mean, that tells me, and, and you know, maybe I'm being foolish for putting too much stock in it, but that tells me that that aspect is going to be an interesting character moment, but it's not really going to impact the plot. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's not like John's going to turn into some undead, remorseless killing machine and betray everything at the end. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Now watch he do that, and then I'll be like super angry about it next next year. But that's not how I think it's going to go. Um, Jason M. I love Game of Thrones, and I love Jon Snow as a character. He's the humble hero we've all fallen in love with, and he. And know that he will ultimately be the one that save all of Westeros. However, in my opinion, he's the whole reason everyone is in the shitstorm to begin with. You ready for this, Jim? Sure. If John wouldn't have pranced around Westeros crying White Walker, they wouldn't have breached the wall, and Danny might be sitting on the Iron Throne. The White Walker's only hope was to get a dragon, otherwise, they would be wandering aimlessly in the north with no possible way to breach the wall. The wall was created to keep the White Walkers out and sealed with magic. There's no other means in which the White Walkers could have made it through. I. I don't know that that's an assertion based in evidence. <laughs> we don't know of any other way sure. that they could break through, but we also did not know of the dragon loophole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the books have hinted that there's a horn that could blow it down. Uh, there's an open question of whether the dead could just scale the wall. There's a question of whether the dead could, with their cold powers and, a, and, and enough time and determination, freeze the bay and walk around the wall. Um you know, obviously the wall is a great deterrent, and uh, but I don't, I don't know that we know that it's completely uh, a foolproof way to keep out the dead. Because else, why do you need sure. the Night's Watch if the wall is just going to do and then the dead can do whatever they want? Why the hell do you have to have men defending the wall? Why was that uh, an institution that went back to the Long Night? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I feel like it. You know, having seen the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to the, the, see how you bring this around. The question is, <laughs> would did John have any choice in the matter, essentially? Like, has, has right. the Night King foreseen something that tells him the dragon is coming, and that's why he started amassing his armies? Right. Um, because the Night King has been amassing armies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the wall were a, an impenetrable barrier that he, he had no way to get past, what good is amassing an yeah, army? to what end. Yeah, yeah. So that tells me that either the Night King has foreseen something or the Night King has another means of breaching the wall when he chooses. Yeah, and I, I think either one of those, like the fact that he has foreseen it and this is a prophecy and that, or not not this a prophecy, but a vision he's had similar to the things right. that the Three-Eyed Raven has, mm-hmm. um, I think you're kind of on the mark there. So it's it's you're right. It's like one of those questions of if, you know, if, if John knew... If John had known about that, could he have done anything to prevent it? Whatever action he took that he thought would be the way to keep them from having the dragons would have led dragons to being in their hands. Right. Um, he continues. Uh, let him finish his, his thought here, Jason. Uh, John's fear that the White Walkers uh, led him to Danny, which disrupted her campaign and prevented her from taking the Iron Throne. This resulted in John handing over one of her dragons to Night King, causing the doom of Westeros. Well, I mean, we... We I don't, don't know think that Westeros yet. is doomed yet. <laughs> Had John just relaxed and enjoyed being king in the north, Danny would have destroyed Cersei, and they may have both ended up together under better circumstances. The other thing is, like, what if John hadn't done this and Danny gave in to her darker impulses and torched King's Landing? It might have prevented her from being the good queen that we want her to be. She could have been like mm-hmm. another evil Targaryen in the realms right back. So it's like again, some of this stuff might have happened for a quote unquote reason. Mm-hmm. And if John had done like just chilled in King, uh, like like chilled in Winterfell and like essentially put his fingers in his ear and went la la la. You're saying that everything would have worked out when it's just as likely Danny would have taken King's Landing with blood and fire, 
which would have been a big setback for the realm, and then she would have been completely ignorant to the designs of the White Walkers, and if they were able to breach the wall, been completely defenseless to, to stop them. And they would have had the time to amass an even larger, unstoppable army. Right, right. Cause, and they also would have marched that, assuming they could have gotten through the wall, they could have you know, marched through all the north and, and continued to add to their forces and continued to add to their forces. I don't know. Like I said, it, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that John could have just sat things out. I feel like we need Bran to get involved Plus, in it would have been hella boring. It would Hell have been, yeah. boring for him just being like, it's on the king of the north, the king of the north. And, <laughs> and scene, he comes back. Yeah, and then we get He's a couple scenes of Danny burning King's Landing, mm-hmm. and she's like, I'm the evil queen. It's like, it's a fucking broad, or halfway to being a shitty Broadway musical. That's not Game of Thrones. No. we we. I feel like Bran is doing a huge disservice to the realm right now, not getting mixed up in this stuff. Because sure. if anybody can see what's going to happen and what is currently happening, it's him. He needs to do something. Well, I think he's uh, first. I, I he's trying. Yeah, I don't think he's know, mastered but, his powers. And he but also, come on, Bran, you're the only guy. Like get get good. Yeah, he, he hasn't mastered his powers, and he also one of his first tastes of using his powers. He did some horrifying time loop that yeah killed, killed one his of his friends. Exactly. Yeah. So he's a little gun shy, uh, <laughs> and 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 not good at his powers. Benjamin D. At this point, why would you take anything from the show as a projection for the books? He's taken to issue the th- statements I've made repeatedly in the last few weeks about the re- one of the reasons I'm watch I'm enjoying watching the show is I'm using that to try to figure out what is and isn't important in the books. I don't see any evidence that Dorne won't matter in the books. I don't even think it's reasonable to assume that Fagon theories and R plus L equals J theories are based on textual evidence. Uh, I mean, look, man. If you want to argue that these the book and the show, despite everything the Double Ds know from what George has given them, are going to bear no relation to each other, to the extent that you're going to quibble that R plus L equals J is a, is is not a done deal, I I mean, you're so far off in my estimation. It does not make you a bad person. It does not make you stupid or wrong. <laughs> but in my estimation, from my worldview, you are so far off the reservation that. I don't even know what kind of useful dialogue we could have because everything I would say you're going to dismiss. And if you want me to entertain R plus L equals J theories alternatively, when the preponderance of the evidence in the books points to that direction. And oh, by the way, the show has confirmed it Mm -hmm. like I that's 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 kind of magical thinking in my book. Yeah, I always go back to. The, the people who have the most information from George Martin about how he wants to f- conclude this story right. are the people who are making this television show. Right. And I, it's certainly within their prerogative to say, you know what, George, we think we have a better ending. Sure. And to go for them to go totally off the reservation. But d- do you really think that's what they're doing? No. Or I would don't. they rather write to the satisfying end that George has himself outlined to them? Yeah. Now, if you want to say, I doubt. I doubt that the wall be taken down by an ice dragon. Sure, I can That's give you plausible. some details, but That's... the large, broad strokes are going to be roughly the same. Like, is John going to go and try to capture a white to prove to Cersei? <laughs> no, is, is Stannis going to burn his daughter and win? Like, like I said, we can just like all the other seasons, you can quibble about you know 
whether they should have put the antlerman in or whatever. But but the, there's no way that like in a version of the show, mm-hmm. Stannis would have won and taken King's Landing. Yeah. Just like I don't think there's any version of the books that's going to have John not be the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna Targaryen, or like Elaria sitting on the Iron Throne at the end. Like right. it's just not going to happen. Right. And he continues like you know, he talks about like uh, that 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 Martin has given like Euron these badass speeches, and like you wouldn't give badass speeches and magical horns for people that were going to go nowhere. But you know, Doran gave that badass uh, blood and fire speech. Sent his son over there, married Danny, and he got burnt to a crisp by Danny's own dragons. Like literally yeah. amounted to nothing but a pile of ash. So how can you say that someone gets a badass speech? You know who gave a lot of badass speeches? Ned. You know who gave a lot of badass speeches? <laughs> Rob. Rob. <laughs> yep. You, you know, you know who gave a lot of badass to his own ear speeches, but uh, look, Joffrey, like Stannis. This, Sure. <laughs> he's not dead in the books yet. Not dead in the books yet, okay. but, like, I don't think he's going to sit on the Iron Throne. So, like, I mean, lots of people have given badass speeches and then been summarily destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know... I don't know what you're expecting to hear from me that would change your mind, and I don't know what you were expecting me to hear that would change mine, because you're just advocating that the double Ds have gone rogue yeah. and are deliberately trying With to... With no evidence for it. That's the problem. Yeah. In yeah. fact, all evidence to, all evidence on the major points pointing the opposite direction. Yeah. Because I, just, I, I never took seriously any alternate theories to R plus L equals J, and I feel like I was vindicated. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not, not like to reevaluate the position now. Moving on from Ben from Sacramento, the first and second scene from the epilogue, um, okay, he wants to talk about jetpacking. Season one, episode one, we jetpack from beyond the wall to the hills near Winterfell. According to everything I've found, the wall to Winterfell is something like 650 miles on the King's Road, and he was on foot. That journey would have taken him weeks to complete, yet he was apprehended by Stark soldiers in the second scene, so they jetpacked from the start. All right. First of all, you don't know how long he was captured after he abandon his post at the wall right you don't know where the starks like i don't is it i don't don't think it's you can say for sure that that was near winterfell like the stark soldiers per like stark bannermen patrol the entire north i mean Mm. it's a big place and i'm not saying like there's like one stark man per square mile or whatever Mm -hmm. but they got outriders and they're riding around i mean they're they're looking for wildlings raiding up there they capture this guy who's a black brother far you know outside of the gift they're probably going to take him to to uh, winterfell because that's what you do with criminals that's up to the lord to pass judgment on them so like there that is a very different situation than in these later seasons where we know that John is at the wall and he's got to get the King's Landing and he says we've got five days to do that or whatever or we know that several nights only have passed um, and 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 John has been stuck in this you know frozen lake and he sent a crow and then a dragon like like there's jetpacking and there's jetpacking like in the many of the first seasons there wasn't a lot of evidence that said hey. There could have been weeks or months elapsed between these scenes, where as we get further into the series, it seems like there are events that say, no, only so many days have passed. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Like, I hate getting caught in this argument because uh, until, like, the last season, I was the one saying, just chill on the whole jetpacking thing. Mm -hmm. It's not that big a deal. There's all all this evidence of where you can, like, you know... uh, uh, 
uh, excuse and look around and not call it jetpacking. It gets harder to do that, but I don't think jetpacking is what's killing season seven. No, I don't think season seven was killed. No. I think season seven Certainly. was very good with some with with unfortunate stumbles and silly plot. Yeah. Um, I will say I think season seven had maybe the biggest stumble of the whole series so far in that John had a very, very stupid plan. Yeah, um, I, I guess. But, but you're right. I don't think it killed the season for me either. I think that probably. And, and that's that's not saying like a whole lot in a show that doesn't have many problems. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like the Sand Snakes. Right. Like the stuff or in Dorn, Dorn in general. Yeah. yeah. And and that essentially. Ari, like, Ari, I don't I didn't feel like Arya's. House yeah. of Black and White plot was very satisfying. It got the job yeah, of there was moving a thing them with the waif and, and yeah, and the stabbings and yeah, all the, the, the stuff, end, yeah. the end of the climax of that. I don't feel like they quite had nailed down. Yeah, um, but you know, for seven seasons of a TV show, if you can point out three flaws, I think we're doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try to really just get off a of jetpacking going forward because the damn show itself has said there's going to be a lot of jetpacking. Yeah, and. You know, Martin hasn't written a book, so we'll see if he can do better. We'll see if he can do better. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm kind of, like, over-talking about it at this point. He also has a question about Varys. Ever since Melisandre is introduced, we've seen that King's blood has the power for the Red God's magic. Every blood sacrifice we've seen has involved King's blood, Gendry, Stannis, Shireen, etc. So we can, just, can we just assume that Varys has some sort of King's blood in him? It only makes sense. His junk was burned, root and stem, and the red god's spoken name in the blue faint flames. Now the kings we know of are the Baratheons, Targaryens, uh, Greyjoys, and Starks. He was born in Essos, so he has to be a Blackfire or Targ, right? Mm. Um, there is a lot of tinfoil type spoilers about Varys' identity. And I did, again, if you check out the tinfoil archive that's mentioned in every uh, show notes of, of every Game of Thrones podcast we do... There is a thing on Varys theories, mm-hmm. um, and there's also one on like potential Varys and Illyrio master plan. And one of those things says there's a lot of things. People say that Varys actually isn't a eunuch; he's a woman. Hmm. Uh, he's the wife of Illyrio. He is, uh, like you said, a Blackfire princess. Um, it does it does make sense that there would be some royal blood, but also, you know, there's kings in Essos too. Like Princess Nymeria came from from Essos, uh, the people of the Royanar. Uh, that's the, the 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 famous conquering princess that uh, 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 that the Arya gave uh, her her name to her wolf. Um, yeah. And it's just like we just don't have enough information to speculate. And I guess the the smart money would be that if he is got royal blood, it would be some sort of Blackfire Targaryen. Because that seems like he's, you know, in mm. league with the Golden Company, and he's trying to get this Targaryen. Who, if Aegon is not a fake Targaryen, he's probably a Blackfire Targaryen, which is, I guess, kind of the same thing from Danny's perspective. Which Aegon? Uh, the fake Aegon, <laughs> not Jon Snow. No, he's no? not Aegon. Okay. He is not Aegon. <laughs> that's that's his that's his slave name. Um, let us move on, Anastasia E. I know there's been a lot of recent discussion on the podcast about the Valencar theory slash who is going to kill Cersei, but I've been rereading the books and they came across something interesting. In Cersei's first chapter in Feast, she refers to Tyrion as my twisted little Valencar during the moment of inner dialogue. Hmm. She just finding out Tywin has been murdered. Do you think that Gurm is dropping hint for us, or do you think that Cersei is using this term for him based on her own interpretation of the prophecy? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. 
Um, I think what you're seeing here is George introducing this term, and it's supposed to be a mystery. Because at the end of this chapter, there's this quote where one of the Kingsguard busts in um, after she's had this kind of nightmare and says, "Do you, should I fetch you a cup of water? And she goes... It's not blood I it's blood I need, not water. Tyrion's blood, the blood of the Valonqar. The torches spun around her, Cersei closed her eyes and saw the dwarf grinning at her. No, she thought, I was almost rid of you, but his fingers had closed around her neck and she could feel them begin to tighten. Now, we have no idea what she's talking about any of this. And several other of her chapters contained this imagery of her being choked and Tyrion stalking her. And then much later in the book, they relay the story of Maggie's uh, prophecy of the, the, the Maggie, the Wood Witch's prophecy about the Valonqar. So I think what this is supposed to do is just pique your interest because he reveals this term Valonqar. What the hell is the Valonqar? Does it mean dwarf? Does it mean this? And then we find out that... Uh, I think there's a part in a book where one of these uh, mercenaries brings a head of a dwarf, and he's from Essos, and he throws the, the, the head of the dwarf at her and says, here's the head of your Valonqar, and that makes her, like, an electric shock go through her because he's just using the Valerian word for little brother, and then we get the prophecy. So it's it's the three-step Martin reveal, um, and it's supposed to be a mystery, and you're supposed to be intrigued, and as you get more information, it's satisfying sort of view. So I don't think he's trying to tell us anything other than the story in the most interesting way he, he thinks he can. So, and that's all the spoiler feedback we got. Hmm. Again, okay. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you'd like to ask me any other questions that don't involve... Uh, that, that that don't involve John not being the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna or don't involve jetpacking, I'd be happy to entertain them. We have one more, one more episode only for all for the rest of the year and probably not another one until sometime in 2018 when we start considering season three, which will complete our coverage. We'll have complete full coverage of Game of Thrones. Well... Until season eight comes out, which yeah, we'll also and we'll, do. we'll probably be on the season eight train. I yeah, think. I mean, we'll have yeah. to see what our schedule looks like, right? <laughs> you know, if it hits in the middle of Mister Robot season, or what if Fargo season four? Like, how you know yeah. that's a, that's a tough choice. Should we do Game of Thrones? Or and we don't we know do? what else is going to be new, <laughs> you know, in twenty nineteen or whatever. Oh yeah, comes out. oh yeah, they get the Dunkin' egg. we have to get the Dunkin' egg out early. Yeah, gonna be all over that Dunkin' egg. That's that's the new <laughs> that's the new stuff. No, we will be back for season yes, eight, obviously, and we will have covered for season three. Unfortunately, it's not uh, it's not going to be this year because uh, we've got just so much stuff, so much yeah. stuff going on. It's a busy holiday season, and we're going to be announcing even more stuff coming up. So indeed, stay tuned for that. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. If you'd like to get in on that, forums.baldmove.com. If you'd like to discuss it publicly with our fellow fans, uh, follow us along on your favorite social media. Uh, and check out baldmove.com for all of your podcasting on pop culture needs. Until the next time, until the last time for a good long while, uh, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.